All right, um, good evening and uh, welcome to discipleship class number 30. And um, we've got an awesome group in the room uh, with us uh, this evening. And I know we have an awesome group with us online, uh, either now or watching uh, it by recording. So we're honored to have you uh, a part of us and join in and with us. And we're going to talk about some good things tonight. We actually, before uh, we went live online, uh, those of us in the room were kind of talking about some of the uh, subjects and topics on, on the deck for tonight. And um, they're very important, very, very important. Uh, as as it pertains to our, our our life and the quality of our life and and um, things of that nature, so uh, I tell you what, before we go any further, let's pray and we'll ask the Holy Spirit as always to help us and lead us. Father, thank you for your great love for us. Thank you for all the things that you've given to us, all the ways that you've blessed us, Lord. The things that um, you have prepared and given to us already, um, Lord. We may not be even aware. Matter of fact, it's, your word says we are not aware of all the things that that you have done for us and freely given to us that are ours right now. And so I thank you for helping us, Lord, tonight um, see and understand and become aware and connected with in a real and meaningful way your truth and wisdom for our lives as it pertains to what we believe and, and, and how we think and, and the emotions, Lord, that we experience. I thank you for, again, your love, your patience with us, um, your great plans and purposes for our lives. Um, you knew us and gave us purpose and grace in Christ Jesus before time began. And so, Lord, I thank you that um, as we put effort into cooperating with you tonight, you're going to move us forward in our development and maturing and understanding and perfecting. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. amen. And amen. Praise God. All right, so let's just begin with uh, a brief review. We've, we've been talking about the um, the reality that we are beings created in the image and likeness of God. And um, this is all a part of a very lengthy answer to a question, what is man? What are we? Not just um, who are we or why are we, but what are we? And we've been saying, we've been looking at this idea that, that we're uh, being created in the image and likeness of God. And because of that, we possess certain characteristics, qualities, abilities, that exists nowhere else in creation. And we looked at um, comparability and compatibility. We've covered a lot of those things already. And we're, we're currently on um, the, uh, the aspect of our ability to believe. And of course, we've looked at how powerful that is. And Jesus said, nothing's impossible to him who believes. We've distinguished the difference between our ability to believe connecting with the Word of God, which becomes faith, versus our ability to believe um, working against us, which is also known as fear. If you are afraid of something, it is because you believe that thing has the ability to hurt you. And whether it actually does or not is beside the point. If you believe it has the ability to hurt you, you will respond to it as if it does. And so this, of course, is what gives fear... And the grip of fear, uh, you know, such a powerful factor in our lives, it's because it's rooted in this God attribute existing in us known as our ability to believe. Now, to build on without a lot of review, because we've got a lot of ground to cover, let's look at, and I'll put it on the screen, Psalm 34 and 4. He says, I sought the Lord and he heard me 
and delivered me from all my fears. There's a few things here to point out. First one being, of course, the plural, not just from all my fear, single, but all of my fears with an S, plural. Notice he says, I sought the Lord. Remember, without faith it's impossible to please God. Those who come to God, Hebrews eleven six. 6, those who come to God must believe that God is and that He is a rewarder of those who diligently seek Him. And so seeking is at the heart of discipleship. Seeking is an attitude of the heart. It's, it's where you recognize that God has answers that you need and you go after Him to find and discover and receive those answers from Him. And notice, I sought the Lord and in that seeking, the Lord heard me. And when He heard me, He delivered me from all my fears. And we need to begin to understand fear as a root cause. A lot of times we seek the Lord for answers in areas of our lives. And it's not that He refuses to help us. He, he will. But unless we deal with the root of fear in our lives, that same issue is going to continue to crop up over and over again in our lives. Verses we've looked at uh, a few times already in Proverbs 4, for example, He says, uh, Keep your heart, guard your heart with all diligence, for from your heart spring forth the issues of life. And so an issue in the uh, external reality part of our life that we're wanting to change or deal with uh, is coming from an inward part, internal part of our lives the Bible calls our heart. So from the heart spring forth the issues of life. Satan knows that if he can get fear and doubt and unbelief working in our hearts, it's going to produce some sort of dysfunction in our life reality. So... The Lord delivered me from all my fears. He's, he's talking about more than just delivering me from my problems. He's delivering me from the fear that would, would have been at the root of his problems, which obviously is a bigger uh, area of deliverance. So I believe that the same God who delivered uh, David from his fears can deliver you and me from all of our fears. Have you noticed in your own life that there are certain areas where you are seemingly fearless, but then there are other areas in your life where you, you may have reservation or, the, or it may be a stronghold. Some of that can be from things you experienced when you were younger. Um, I'm just generally speaking here. I'm not going to try to cover all of these, but I know when um, I was very young and at my grandparents' house, a really mean dog um, and thankfully, uh, my cousin and, and all, they, they helped me, but that dog almost got me and, and, and trying to bite me. And, um, and so to this day, I, I don't have much of anything for a mean dog. Now, I obviously love animals, but a mean dog wants to hurt and bite somebody. I, I don't have no time for it. And uh, it was a fear that I had to, had to get over, you know, even like riding my bike, you know, in my 50s, you know, dogs and things of that nature. So I'm not trying to get all PTSD on you or that sort of thing, but we, we can experience fears in certain areas in our lives based upon experiences or traumatic experiences, big ones or little ones, uh, in our past that kind of plant those types of, of reservations and what, and what have you in our, in our hearts and minds. But based on this passage, I want to bring to your attention what I believe are the five fears common to man. In other words... You know, we could just say fear in general, but I believe fear in general manifests or presents itself in different ways in our lives. And um, so I'll, I'll uh, run through those for you right quick. I'll put them up on the screen. Um, the first one is a fear of lack, a fear of lack. And, and this would be just what it sounds like, um, a fear of not having enough 
And you realize that people can be multimillionaires and still be consumed by a fear of lack. A fear of lack, or for that matter, any of these fears in a person's life, uh, doesn't necessarily have to be rooted in whatever it is they're afraid of, okay? In other words, you can have a fear of lack and have lots and lots of money in the bank. As a matter of fact, a lot of people do. Um, you know, they, they have money. The Bible talks about just you know, not just that God would bless and prosper us, but that He would bless and prosper us with the ability to enjoy His blessings and prosperity. And, and so a lot of times, you know, folks who've lived a long time without money, um, folks that were, like, for instance, raised in the Great Depression, these things, uh, you know, they can be hardworking people, very thrifty with their money, and, and accumulate a lot of money over the course of their lifetimes, but be afraid to spend it, okay, because of a fear of lack. So a fear of lack is just, you know, a, a basic fear of that I'm not going to have enough, and it's not dependent upon how much you have or don't have. It's, it's a fear that exists in people's lives. All right, so let's keep going. Number two is a fear of rejection, okay, a, um, a fear of rejection. And, and, and this, is a, this is a huge one right here um, for a lot, a lot of people. We talk about this like um, if you've ever had to take a public speaking class, you know, we, we see consistently one of the greatest fears that, that people have is getting up in front of other people and, and having to give a speech or to say something or to, or to speak. And that fear is rooted, you know, you could say maybe a fear of lack because we don't have enough to say or what have you, or the next one we'll get to in a minute, it's a fear of failure, I'll do this and I'll fall flat on my face. But really, more than anything, a fear of public speaking is a fear of rejection. You're afraid that you'll get up in front of people and they'll reject you, right? So this, this is one the enemy, you know, really uses because... You know, our purpose and destiny involves uh, speaking up and speaking out to other people, being able to speak on your own behalf. Um, we talked about this when we talked about those who are as spiritual infants, those who are as spiritual children, those who are as spiritual adults. And we said one who is as a spiritual child, even though um, he's a lord or a ruler over all, his reality differs nothing from a slave, Galatians 4.1. And that, that definition of a child is one who is ignorant, one who is immature, and one who is unable to speak on his own behalf. Okay, And so I shared with you, my son was very young. The waitress asked him what he wanted to eat, and he buried his face in his mother's side. Um, he, in other words, he was afraid to speak up and audibleize what he wanted. And so um, my three-year-old grandson now wants to order his own food at Chick-fil-A from the car seat in the back. Granddaddy, will you roll down my window, right? He's wanting to tell the lady. And so that's a good thing, right, that we can overcome that fear of speaking up and speaking out when we're very young. But a fear of rejection. Um, I've told you before, and I'll remind you again, something very powerful the Lord spoke to me some time ago. He said, do not let the people who reject you keep you from reaching the people who want you and need you, okay? And if we're not careful, the people who reject us, what's that um, once bitten, twice shy, um, if we have experienced a lot of rejection in our lives, it will have a tendency to, uh, to, to cause us to, to withdraw and, and not to put ourselves out there. Um, and so, again, a fear of rejection. I've already mentioned the next one, which would be a fear of failure. And I think it's pretty obvious that you know, a fear of failure prevents us from what? It prevents us from trying. It, it prevents us from, from actually, you know, putting into motion 
ideas that we have, dreams that we have, goals that we have. Um, you know, I, I believe, and I heard this said a long time ago and I questioned it at first, but I believe every person alive on planet Earth has at least one book inside of them. And it's, it's not uh, an uncommon thing. Some of you heard that and it's like something on the inside of you jumped up because, you know, maybe you were younger, maybe of late, whatever, but at some point in your life, can, all right, I'm going to step out on a limb. Anybody in this room ever at least remotely considered writing a book? Yeah, see, about three or four of us, okay? Some of you just aren't like, write a book. I don't read a book. No, but, but see, again, again, I, I believe if you really think about it, um, you know, and, and maybe it's not necessarily writing. Maybe it's some other creative expression, all right? Anybody in here a songwriter? Anybody? Got some songwriters in here. Uh, how about artists? You know, you like to draw, paint, or whatever. But notice... Uh, this is where the, the double whammy of rejection and failure and even lack, right? I'd love to make my living as a songwriter, but, you know, starving artists, you know what I'm saying? Um, or uh, rejection. People, people won't like my songs. They won't like the book I write. They won't read the book I write. They won't be interested in the art that I produce. Or, or fear of failure that, you know, my stuff's not good enough. Um, and, it, and it won't make the cut. Do you see, again, all of these creative uh, callings and giftings and things that God's put in us, Satan is trying to use some form of fear in your life to keep you from ever stepping out and pursuing that and, um, and, and moving forward. So again, do not let the people who reject you keep you from reaching the people who want you and need you. And, and do not let a fear of failure keep you from trying, keep you from uh, you know, stepping out there. Um, you know, when, when I look at what I know now about writing a book and how to edit a book and how to structure a book, and, you know, I, I'm like automatically thinking, man, as soon as I get a break in writing, I'm going to go back and do a, a revised edition of Becoming a Threat to Addiction because there's all kinds of, you know, uh, grammatical errors and writing principles and things that I violated. But here's the thing. You know, you got to start somewhere, and you, and you got to put yourself out there, and you learn by doing. Um, and um, and so, the more we're we're willing to do that, the more our abilities and callings and giftings that Father's given to us um, will be uh, developed. Now, the next fear, and there's five of these, by the way. So, number four is a fear of the unknown. All right, and we just had some folks join the uh, in-person uh, class. Uh, and so I'm going to leave this slide up for you who are watching online. I'm going to leave it up a little longer because they're getting their notebooks out and starting to jot some of these down, so I give them an opportunity. Um, a fear of the unknown. Um, this manifests in our lives most commonly as just simply worry. We worry about, you know, what might happen. We worry about, you know, if, if, if we do this, this will turn out this way or that way, or if they go there, this might, you know, so forth and so on. So it's just this whole fear of the unknown. And remember, you know, your best life is ahead of you, and it's down a pathway you've never been before, and Father's wanting to lead you down that pathway. But since it's a pathway you've never been before, it's one you don't know about, you, you know, if the devil can use the a fear of the unknown, um, to keep you from ever following God down that pathway, then he's going to prevent you from ever fulfilling and experiencing your purpose and destiny on this earth. So a, a, a fear of the unknown. We talk often about um, you know, choosing something that we know is negative because of the familiarity with it over something that is positive um, and better but unfamiliar. 
And, and so, again, this is where a fear of the unknown comes into play. Now, we actually had to end last class before we were able to make this tie-in. But if you recall, we talked about how Jesus became one of us and through death overcame death to set you and me free from what? The fear of death. And we made the connection between the fear of death, uh, the Bible says it predisposes, it inclines us to bondage. Addiction is a form of bondage our entire lives. And so the only way to set us free from that predisposition to being bound by something or somebody that's not of God is we have to overcome the fear of death. And so that is the, um, the, the fifth one. Remember, God has not given us a spirit of bondage again to fear, but a spirit of adoption whereby we cry out to God and call Him Abba Father. And so the fifth fear of the five fears common to man is a fear of death, a fear of death. Now, this would have been in, um, let's see, I don't know the exact, it would have been either late 1998 or early 1999 that the Lord began to, um, to show me some of these things, and we did a, a long teaching series. That thing's on cassette tape, and so I don't know, we might need to try to convert that over now that I'm mentioning it. Um, but we did a, a long sermon series on Sundays entitled The Five Fears Common to Man. And, th and this is how the Lord um, showed it to me with these five common fears, okay? That again, what did, I sought the Lord, for those of you who just joined the class, Psalm 34, 4, I sought the Lord and He heard me and delivered me from all my fears with an S, plural. And so this is how the Lord... Um, showed me these five fears. He said to think of them as the five fingers on a hand that would then grip. Okay, so a grip of fear. Have you ever been gripped by fear? I think we all have, if we're honest. When fear just grips us, it can almost like paralyze us, right? And this grip of fear in, in our hearts, okay? So if you'll think of a fear of lack, a fear of rejection, a fear of failure, a fear of the unknown, as the four fingers on that grip of fear, but then the fear of death being the thumb, right? And, and, and the, the imagery there is that all the other four ultimately are extensions of uh, and work in tandem with, in, in, in combination with the fear of death. In other words, a fear of lack is actually rooted in a fear of death. If we don't have enough, we'll die. Fear of rejection. What do they say? Even if they kill you, they can't eat you. They try to tell you that to encourage you to get up in front of people and speak, right? It's not going to kill you, but even if they kill you. In other words, you could potentially die from a public speaking engagement, right? But even if you die, the people who, you know, who killed you by being present to hear you are not going to eat you. Anybody ever heard that one? No? Okay, man. All right. Hmm. It might be time for some new examples, some new analogies here. The first four are extensions of number five. They're rooted in a fear of death. Well, right, let, let me, let's, let's go off subject for a minute, okay? Somebody says, I am afraid of heights, for example, okay? Really not afraid of heights. They're afraid of falling and dying. Someone who says, I'm afraid to fly. Really not afraid to fly. Flying's pretty cool. You're afraid to fly because you're afraid the plane will crash and what? You will die. That okay. Like a thing, mm, normal for someone. 
Okay. Well, I'm just I'm. No. So so, you know, if back to if you are if you believe it's the case whether it is or not, and if you look at the statistics, flying in. Yeah, yeah. Flying in a commercial jetliner is I don't know how many hundred percent safer than actually driving in a car, you know, or, or try, you know all these other things, right? So, so I'm not. But again, I'm just I'm just trying to make help you see the connection here. That why are we afraid of 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 not having enough? Because ultimately, if you don't have enough long enough, you die. Okay. Um, if you don't. If everybody rejects you and nobody wants you a part of their lives, a part of their organization, a part of their family, a part of their uh, employee, and all these other stuff, right? So, in other words, rooted in all of these is that, you know, this underlying uh, sense of, of death as a finality. And, um, and, you know, what did Jesus say? If you try to save your own life, you'll lose it. But all of this is rooted in this idea of a fear of death. So this is why if, if the grip of fear on our lives is ever going to be um, broken, it's got to begin with the fear of death. I mean, we, until, until you're no longer afraid to die, you're in no position to really live the life that God created us to live because we'll constantly be um, making decisions based upon you know, self-preservation as opposed to why, why do people not give who, who want to give and, and support other people and help other causes? Well, you know, I'd love to do that, but I may not have enough for myself. See, it, it comes back to the fear of lack, comes back to the fear of death. All right. So, amen or oh me? Is that, is that making sense, at least on the surface? Um, so... Um, You know, the, um, it's, just, it's, a great, it's a great example. Those of you who are watching online, if you didn't hear, she goes, like when you know, we were kids or watch our kids, you know, just climb up on top of stuff and jump off, flip off, you know, it, you know just roll off it, do, do backflips off of it, you know. And, and, um, and, you know, we're like, you know, as adults and that, and that sort of thing, you know, and it, it, it's, there's, a, there's a fearlessness, you know, uh, almost this belief of in, invincibility. Uh, you know, all the, uh, the things that in, in our day and age that, you know, present tense day and age that were not available when I was a kid, you know, it was all of these, what, like YouTube videos and, 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 and things. And, and um, from time to time, you know, somebody will show me one of those. And, you know, and you watch people do things. And, and at first you're like, oh, my goodness, you know, a skateboard or a bicycle or whatever, you know, and, and you're almost like, you know, holding on until it's over. And then you realize, wow, you did stuff like that when you was a kid. You know what I'm saying? You know, you, we, used to, we used to see how many people we could jump over on our bicycles, you know, and... You know, you just tried to get to the close to the ramp as you could. You didn't want to be out on the end in case the guy came up short. You know, but you know, the tree houses we built and things that we did and trees that we climbed and crazy things that we did. We've all got those stories, right? Um, so it's a perfect way of illustrating it. Now, I want us to um, I want us to make a full stop and and let's you know begin another subject tonight I would I would have hoped to have gotten that part finished last week but obviously we didn't have time to do it so just a quick review because we are creating the image and likeness of God we have the ability uh, number one we've covered think reason form opinions number two 
We have the ability to agree. We've talked about the power involved in all of these over our life realities. Number three, we've talked about we have this ability to believe, and that's the one that we just finished up because fear is conjoined uh, to that one. And then number four, because we are created in the image and likeness of God, we have the ability to experience and express, experience and express emotions. We have the ability to experience and express emotions. So in the same way, our physical form represents God's physical form because we were made according to His image and likeness. Uh, the two eyes, the one nose, the one mouth uh, thing that I've said over and over again. In that same way, um, we have the ability to experience and express emotions because God has the ability to experience and express the same emotions and as beings created in His image and likeness to look like He looks and to function as He functions, we have that same uh, ability. In other words, we can get angry because God could get angry and He made us to function the way He functions. We can laugh and have joy. We can experience grief, even jealousy. And that's one sometimes that, that stirs a, a lot of debate. You know, it's like, what? God gets jealous? Yeah, the Bible's very clear about it. God's a jealous God. The difference is his, He's holy and jealous, right? We, we, tend to, we have a tendency to be carnal or, or you know, worldly and fleshly and jealous. Um, the fact that God is jealous over you means when you give yourself and your time, talent, and treasure, it, it, it affects Him and impacts Him emotionally or the things of this world. You just do it for yourself. Um, I, I, I tend to be a sucker for a good talent competition. Um, I, I haven't watched any of the new American idols, but America's Got Talent, The Voice, those things of that nature. And, and don't judge me on that, but part of that is, and I, there are times when I will sit there, Sister Pam will tell you, and I'll just sit there and weep because it's, it's, this, it's this man or this woman who, you know, what was the guy years ago who uh, he sat on his front porch, one of the first uh, original winners of, the, of, of America's Got Talent, and, um, and he, was a, he was a chicken farmer. You know, he, his job was to count chickens and, and all this other stuff, just country and all this other stuff, you know, basically sat on his porch and sang. Somebody said, you ought to go. And, and all of a sudden he sings and it's just, you know, America's crying. It's like just amazing the talent this man has. And so when people discover, you know, especially in front of a television audience and a live audience, you know, that their gift is really special, you know, that, that is something that moves me, um, you know, about that and, and, the, and the emotional uh, experience and connection, um, you know, to that. And, and so, Father, you know, he is, he is touched and moved emotionally um, uh, by us. And, and, and so, you know, to, to have that kind of a connection and experience and expression, it was all created just like all these other things. God created you with these different characteristics and ability for those things to be a blessing to you, for those things to, uh, to cause great benefit uh, in, in your life experience. Now, again, Adam fell and we became disconnected from God and now Satan is trying to use all of these things uh, against us um, and, 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 and make them a curse in our lives rather than the blessing that God intended for them to be. So some of the things we said before we uh, started uh, the live stream tonight is, you know, just how uh, powerful uh, emotions are and the influence that they have uh, over our lives because of the influence they have over our choices. Um, 
I've had some people kind of bristle at this thought. They, they, in other words, they, they, not sure they agreed with it, and you're welcome to disagree with it. But um, I think if you understand what I, if you're confused by it, I think I don't mean to sound arrogant by this. If you're confused by that, it's, it's just that you don't understand what I mean by this statement. And the statement is this: Life is choice driven. Life is choice driven. Um, and God created us with a free will, uh, with the ability to make our own choices. Now, that goes back to think, reason, and form opinions. So when we say life is choice-driven, there, there are a lot of folks who, who choose to think instead that somehow there's a giant script that God wrote and, and we're just all puppets on a string, and whatever happens is part of God's plan that we may not understand ever, but nonetheless, you know, blah, blah, blah. The opposite of that is true. Um, Father God is obviously trying to influence your choices. He's trying to reveal himself and his wisdom to you so that, that you will, by faith, do life and living his way. But you can also choose to do it your own way. You can also choose to ignore God and manage your life as you see fit, as you think best, as opposed to how he sees fit and he thinks best. And that's your choice. So when I say life is choice-driven, choices have consequences, and this is why the devil tries to manipulate our choices as well, because if the devil can manipulate you into making wrong choices, this is how he's able to contaminate and infiltrate your life with bad and negative consequences. Okay. So what does this have to do with emotions? It has everything to do with emotions because emotions influence our choices. How we feel and, and, and you know, we talk about emotional decisions. Um, for example, let's just talk about some financial decisions that you may or may not have made in the past based upon emotions. And that can, that can go either way. Uh, maybe let's, I'll, I'll use a, a, you know, an example of my own life. Um, I really felt led of the Holy Spirit. Let's see, my, my son-in-law can tell you the exact time because I reached out to him about this. I really felt led of the Holy Spirit. As a matter of fact, first time in my life. Um, I was working in, in, in the front of our house. We had, we had during COVID, we had uh, needed, desperately needed to do some landscaping out there. And Pam and I had bought some uh, shrubs here and there. And so I was out there, you know, planting those shrubs and, I, and just talking to the Lord and meditating as I like to do when I do that kind of work. And I really felt led of the Holy Spirit to, um, to, to purchase um, some Tesla stock. And I know it sounds odd, but I, I really felt like it was the Holy Spirit because it seemed to came, come out of nowhere. And, um, and so I reached out to my son-in-law about it because he knows a lot about those things. And he's like, look, you know, I, 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 it may take you a while. He said, but I, I really think throughout the end of the year you're going to be fine and, and, and that, you know, potentially would do well with it. And... Um, and so I said, okay, you know, and so, but I drug my feet on it. Again, fear of lack, fear of the unknown, all these fears, right? I let the emotions associated with fear prevent me from doing it. And uh, it, it, to date, it's probably cost me, I don't know, $11,000 that I could have other, otherwise benefited from. Um, so again, I'm not, when I say emotions influencing decisions, it's very easy to talk about like a financial decision where you get caught up in the moment and buy something that you really can't afford. Obviously, you know, maybe not all of us, but we've probably all at least thought about that or been tempted to do that, if not actually done it. Um, but the other side of that coin as well is that, you know, emotions and being intimidated by something or, or you know, prevent you from actually following through on an opportunity that God has um, put in your life. So life is choice-driven, 
Emotions have powerful influence over our lives because of the influence they have over our choices. Now, let me, let me say something else. This kind of relates to something that Brother George was saying before, before class. We have a tendency to care more about the way a thing or person makes us feel than the actual substance of that thing or person. Um, we, we, we tend to go more about, you know, the feelings that a situation produces or a relationship produces or, or what have you over, you know, the, the, the actual, when I say substance, I'm talking about what that thing actually is um, at, its, at its heart and at its nature. Um, have you ever been initially um, turned off by someone who later turned out to either be a dear friend or someone who really helped you or someone that, you know, was, turned out to be very beneficial in, in one way or the other in your life. And, it, it, you know, so again, um, you know, maybe someone has a personality that makes you feel a certain way that's not necessarily comfortable, uh, but yet that person is someone God's put in your life uh, to be of great blessing and benefit to you. So this, this whole idea of emotions and how emotions affect and influence us uh, is 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 multidimensional, all right? Now, I mentioned this already. I'm just trying to work through my notes here and be concise about it. We have the ability to experience and express emotions because we were created in the image and likeness of God, um, and and He has uh, that ability or possesses that ability and possessed it first. Uh, many people are ruled by their feelings or by their emotions uh, more than anything else, more than any other factor in their lives. Um, they you know, I know, and I'm not exaggerating when I say this, I have known of people literally who, um, you know, like, say, I'll give you an example. You're having a conversation with them on a Thursday or a Friday and, you know, part of this church, whatever, and it's like, so I may say something like, you know, we'll look forward to seeing you Sunday or hope to see you Sunday, you know. And literally, I had a lady say, well, you know, Pastor Mark, I appreciate that and I, I love coming to Heritage, but you know, we just usually wait as a family to see how we're feeling and how it's going on Sunday before we decide whether we're coming to church or not. And, you know, I'm like, you know, I'm just like, Lord Jesus, you know, please help this sister hear what she's saying. Because notice now, in order to make a quality decision about what's in the best interest of her walk with the Lord and her children, right, um, ahead of time, she's going to wait and get a 9 o'clock report from her feelings before she decides on how she's going to follow through or what she's going to follow through on. And <laughs> for those of you who didn't hear what Sister Pam, she said, you know, as you can imagine, those folks were not here very often. Um, because we, we can't leave important decisions up to how we feel when it's time to make those decisions choices, all right? So this is what we mean by being ruled by our feelings, being ruled by our emotions. How many of you know if you're going to have the life that God created you to live, you're going to have to do some things that you may not feel like doing? One of my favorite John Maxwell quotes of all time is, everything you want and do not have right now is outside of your comfort zone. And, and if, we, if we just live by, by what feels comfortable to us, we're going we're gonna to live a very limited um, life and lack many of the breakthroughs and experiences that Father God um, has for us to accomplish and experience. So 
here is uh, just a, a really raw and real statement. Satan wants to make you his puppet by pulling your emotional strings. He wants to make you his puppet by pulling your emotional strings. Remember, he can't affect anything in your life without your cooperation. You have to give the devil place in order for him to get one over on you, so to speak. Now, here is, a, is, is one of my favorite verses. As a matter of fact, I have not mentioned this verse in some time. It's 2 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 12. I haven't mentioned this verse in some time, but, and it wasn't in my notes for Sunday morning, but the Holy Spirit led me to mention this verse. 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse, uh, verse number 12. It says, You are not restricted by us, but you are restricted by your own affections. You are not restricted by us, but you are restricted by your own affections. Now, that word restricted could also be limited, or I like this one even better, held back. Okay? What is, what's the Apostle Paul saying? He's like, look, I'm not holding you back. And he's saying that God is not holding you back. And here's some good news, if you don't know it already. The devil can't hold you back, right? So what is he saying is limiting us? What is he saying is, quote-unquote, holding us back, preventing us from moving into the greater things that Father God has for us? He says, if you're limited, it's not God limiting you. It's not he was their apostle, their prophet, their, their minister, right? He said, I'm not limiting you. I'm not holding you back, and the devil can't hold you back. So what is holding them back? He says you're limited, you're restricted, you're being held back by your own affections. Okay. Now, when the Lord began to spoke to me, speak to me several years from this verse, I'm like, okay, this this is this is big time right here because I don't know about you, but I don't like being held back. I mean, I, I wanna I wanna forge on ahead into all that Father God has for me. But He's saying that if there's anything that's restricting me, that's limiting me, it's my own affections. So. That word affections is a unique word in the original language. And, and here is the best way I know how to define it. Affections equals desires plus emotions. It's, it's, it's desires combined with emotion. Now, if you, um, I say if you remember, <laughs> some of you in the room will remember because we talked about this in our Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday class uh, uh, here recently. In Romans 1, where the Bible says the wrath of God is revealed from heaven, that word wrath there is not thumos, which means a violent outburst of anger, but it's oregero, if I'm saying that correctly. I'm probably butchering it if anybody who understands the Greek language uh, is listening. But, but that particular word translated wrath doesn't mean an outburst of anger. It is, a, it is deep desire coupled with grief. Um, so that one would be desire plus grief. Here, affections is desire plus emotion. So desire plus grief would be, you know, where Father God has these high hopes for us and, and would be best understood by our, our disappointing Him. He's disappointed because He has so much more for us than, than um, uh, most, let's just say, of His children are experiencing. So here, affections is desire plus emotion. So what's, I'm trying to think of the best way to, to, to help you understand this. It's one thing to want something. It's another thing to have desire and, and that desire be, um, you know, if, if the desire is a sail and then emotion would be the strength of the wind in that sail, okay? In other words, the, the more emotional, emotionally you are connected to something, 
combined with desire for that thing or for that person, right? Um, th this is where, you know, affection in our hearts. Sometimes we think of affection as, you know, I have affection for this or have affection for that. Um, I'm not the word police. I'm not anybody's police or anybody's judge. But I learned something years ago from, from Keith Moore, and I just want to put it out there for you right now. Um, he said that we use the word love way too much and way too inappropriately um, and that we, we should watch. And, and I've got, I'm not saying I do it every time, but like we say things like I love chocolate pie or I love a Corvette or I love, love, love. And it's, we, we shouldn't be throwing the word love around so casually and flippantly. Um, we should reserve that for for people and for God, and 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 we sh and we should, you know, because what happens is, terms become so familiar. You ever heard familiarity breeds contempt, right? <laughs> terms become so familiar that they become meaningless to us, right? So you know, we we say love this, love that, love this. Then when we really start trying to express our love for someone, the words become so way overused and so misapplied that when we really want to try to communicate it, it doesn't carry any weight or pack any punch. Okay, and so plus desire. You know, it's one thing to want something. It's another thing, and this may sound silly, but just to want it bad. I mean, you know, when you want it bad, that's when, the, that's when there's an, an, an emotion behind it. And so, you know, this is, this is why the Bible talks about sin is when we're drawn away of our own lust or our own desires and enticed. And, and this is back to, you know, when we, when we give in the temptation which there's always what a choice involved in that where we choose to do something that we are being tempted to do. Notice the more emotion that is combined with that desire, the more tempting that situation is. So he's saying again, you're not restricted by us, but you're restricted by our own desires. I have a sign in my office and I kind of rotate them out, but it says God is not holding me back and the devil can't. I am limited by my own affections, okay? They're just personalizing that verse. God's not holding me back. There's so many people that think God's holding them back. So many people that think, you know, well, you know, you gotta, you gotta have this and you gotta do that and, and you gotta go through this and you gotta this and that. My friend, God, God's not holding you back, right? Um, he's not withholding, any, he's not withheld, not withholding, he's not withheld or withholding any good thing from you. If he, if he spared not his only son but delivered him up for us all, how will he not now with Jesus back at his right hand side freely give you all things. So God's not limiting you. He's not holding you back. Um, we're limited by our own affections, okay? And listen, I, I say this to, to no one's condemnation that's not here. I say this more to, um, to encourage and to build up those who are here, either in the room or online, right? Um, there, there are a lot of folks who would like to be here tonight First of all, let me say this. There's a lot of folks who would like to be here tonight, but they can't. They've got other obligations, okay? But there are a lot of folks who's like, you know, they have some level of interest in discipleship class, but affections for other things. Are you following what I'm saying? Um, some folks would rather be resting right now. Some folks would rather be watching television right now. Some folks would rather be, you know, have their hand in a bag of potato chips right now or whatever. I'm just, I'm just you know, throwing things out there. Um, and again, that's, I'm not throwing rocks at anybody. They're not hearing me say this anyway, so I'm not saying this to offend anybody. But I'm saying this to commend you, right, is that, you know, there were other things that you could have potentially been doing with this uh, block of time on your Wednesday. 
but you have chosen to not let affections for other things limit you or prevent you from coming and receiving truth and wisdom from God's Word and from the Holy Spirit that will renew your mind and transform your life. Is it, are you seeing what I'm saying here? Okay, all right, so shout out. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. So, so you think the five, the five fears that you, that you just went over, um, they, they play into these affections, the word you use there, affections. It's a beautiful tie-in. Desires uh, mixed with, I mean, combined with an emotion could be expressed in fear of lack or fear of rejection or failure. It, it's a beautiful connection that, that needs to certainly be made, so thank you for bringing that up. For those of you who are watching online that may have not heard what Brother said, you know, he's he's asking about and pointing out the connection between the five fears and desire plus emotion. And so a desire for self-preservation, uh, a desire for, you know, uh, money. Mon money's not the root of all evil. Love of money is the root of all evil is what the Bible clearly says, right? People misquote that verse all the time, misunderstand that verse all the time. Um, so, you know, where... You know, the, the security that we feel right, from having money in the bank, right, and the risk that it seems um, to, uh, remember what we said, uh, I believe, was it last week, we said that farmer takes, the, takes food out of his children's mouth and goes and buries it in the backyard, but what he's really doing is planting it, right, to, to, for the harvest, and so that a whole one in the hand versus two in the bush you know, we we want to keep what we got and the and the and how it makes us feel and 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 the 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 desires we have for money and the affections the 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 the, the emotions that we have when we have it when we don't it's perfect tie-in and so again we don't we're afraid to give we're afraid to sow into God's work we're afraid to make an investment we're afraid to buy Tesla stock we're you know um, so yeah, it's a great it's a great tie-in, uh, and it is um, exactly um, you know what we see in all of that. So, Amen. I, listen, there's some of this. We mentioned jealousy a moment ago. Um, Exodus 34, James 4 talks about um, God is a jealous God. Um, I'll put that up on the screen. Exodus 34 and 14. For you shall worship no other God. For the Lord, whose name is jealous, is a jealous God. Okay. And again, this is this requires some level of spiritual maturity to understand that this is this is not evil or sinful. In the same way that a fear of the Lord is not being afraid of God, it's talking about an attitude um, in the heart. Okay. Now, here is when we talk about Father God or God having emotions and us having them as well. What we understand from this then is that our Heavenly Father is emotionally connected to us. Your Heavenly Father is emotionally connected to you. I'll say it again. Your Heavenly Father is emotionally connected to you. Now, I'm not going to really dig into the, to the rest of these, okay? But, but we, when we say He's emotionally connected, He is also eternally committed, okay? <laughs> eternally committed, and he's also um, enthusiastically concerned. So those are three things that i just like to mention at this point. The Lord dropped into my heart. I don't have a slide for that. I'm sorry. So just, you know, spell it to the best of your ability, and if you ever look back at it, you'll know what you meant, okay? Yes, sir. So emotionally connected, eternally committed, enthusiastically concerned. So I like that word. You know in enthusiasm, like when you're excited about something? 
we talk about God being concerned about you, I think most people envision that, you know, he's maybe kind of sort of indifferent. And if he gets around to, okay, whatever, what do you need? Okay, leave me alone. I'll get it for you. You know, it, that's not his attitude. He, he is not only concerned for you, he is enthusiastically concerned um, for you. He, he um, uh, you know, shout out to my Chick-fil-A days and my Chick-fil-A buddies, right? What, what do they tell you at Chick-fil-A when you say thank you? My pleasure, right? My pleasure. In other words, it's Father's pleasure. It's his good pleasure. Um, to to good to do good things and give good things to his children. Yes, sir. Uh, when you say he's enthusiastically, um, whatever you concerned, right? So he he, he doesn't feel uh, like emotions at a moderate level, right? Everything is is, is powerful, right? So what, what would you say his emotional position is towards us when when, for example, say I I'm fearing something, I'm, I'm in fear. What do, what do you think? What would you say God is? Man, it's a great it's a great question. Again, so what would what would what would father's emotional response to be you know, with one of his children, uh, you know, being afraid and living in fear? Um, so let's the best way to answer this question, right, is is Jesus gave us the template for that, right? As a father, okay, if one of my children are living in fear, I'm not mad at them about that. I'm not like you're embarrassing me. Why, you know? No, I I know because the Bible says fear has torment. Okay, First John, fear has torment. And so if, if, if my children are experiencing fear, I want to comfort them. I want to nurture them. I want to um, you know, help them overcome that fear. So compassion, uh, mercy, goodness. I'm not, I'm not saying, listen now, this is where, you know, just theorizing. Um, th this could also come back to the, the wrath as defined by desire, plus grief. You know, we see this expressed with Jesus when the disciples um, would find themselves in situations and, you know, Jesus, don't you care that we're about to die? You know, and Jesus is like, come on, guys, where, where's your faith? You know, I mean, you, you know, I mean, you should know better by now. This, this, said, you saw, in other words, I'm, I'm not trying to belittle anybody or anything you know it's one thing if my son is two years old and afraid of the dark but if he's 22 years old and still afraid of the dark you know somewhere i i haven't done my job as a dad you know to, or as, a, as his pastor even you, you know you know to, to help him overcome those fears right so seek the lord he heard me and delivered me from my fears so father's desire is to set us free from all fear Right? If we learn to fear the Lord, we will not fear anything or anybody else. Any fear uh, that we have in our lives uh, of, of men or people or things, fear of man, fear of man comes back to a fear of rejection. Right? We, we care about what people think because we're afraid of being rejected by those people, so forth and so on. And the Bible says that brings a snare in our lives. Fear of men brings a snare. Um, so he is absolutely emotionally connected to you, and so this means that you have the ability to bring him joy, you have the ability to make him laugh, you have the ability to, uh, to cause him, you know, like the jealousy, the frustration, all, this whole gambit of emotions that we have the capacity to experience, we have the ability because of his, because of his emotional connection to us, we have the ability to affect that in his life and experience as, or we could say existence as well, okay? Now, Let's go to Ephesians 4. Yes. An example of 
No. When you read, when he went, when we when we hit Goliath and Goliath went down, he cut his head off. He didn't stop. He was running for the whole Philistine army. If, if you read it, you'll see. He didn't. Goliath was not was a starting point, but that was not when he stopped. He was, yeah. He was after the whole army. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know when the when the Lord told Gideon, you know you you can. Um, you can take care of it. It was the Amalekites. You you know as you know do, as one man you can destroy a nation and and you know everybody thinks well God's just exaggerating because he's trying to you know like give him some kind of locker room speech or something. No, no. Da David is the example of of somebody who went after a whole army as one man because he knew if God if God you know is on his side, you know then who can be against me. Um, I like to say it this way: If God's on your side, who who cares? I mean, who cares? Yeah, you know, I mean, it's like, come on now, you know, there's no reason to fear. And so, you know, that's it's a great point Pam's making. Those of you watching online, she talks about David as the example, because again, deliver me from all my fears. The lion, the bear, Goliath, uh, then the Philistine army. Um, he was not putting on. He was not feigning bravery. He didn't go do that with his knees knocking. I know a popular um, phrase. In, in the church world, and for that matter, the world, uh, that ought to tell us something about how popular and important this phrase is, right? If you like this, don't get mad at me. You know, this whole, this whole idea of do it afraid. Do it afraid. Well, I, you know, I at least on one level, I understand that there will be some, uh, you know, un, you know, your flesh trying to rise up against you or what, or what have you. But um, when, when Abraham marched up, the mountain to plunge a knife into Isaac's chest. He didn't do it afraid. He did it in confidence. He did it, told his wife, me and the boy will return. He had already received his son raised from the dead in his mind. He had already pictured it, right? He had already seen it happen in his mind. So, you know, I understand, and I'm not trying to be too hard on the whole concept of doing it afraid, okay? But, you know, there's a place... You know, do it by faith, right? Do it in faith. Um, and, and certainly, you know, David becoming more and more aware of the presence of God, watching his father's sheep, writing all them songs and singing worship to God, enjoying the presence of God, experiencing the presence of God, um, was a huge factor. Because uh, when he shows up at the battlefield, he has a completely different perspective on Goliath than the king of Israel and all the other soldiers in the Israeli army. Um, he wanted to know who the, and I know he said uncircumcised um, Philistine. He wasn't calling him names. Circumcision was a sign of the covenant. So his response was, who is this man who has no covenant with God defying the armies of the living God? And it wasn't, see, the, the, the difference between David and every other man that wanted to be the hero, that wanted, listen, ladies, if I'm sure there's an element. I've never been a woman, so I'm sure there's some element of this in, in y'all. But for us guys, you know, when we're kids, we dream of being the hero. We dream of saving the day. We dream of of of, of, of marrying the beautiful king's daughter and all, all these other things, right? And And so, you know, all the men in that army wanted that glory. They wanted that benefit. But fear, right, kept them from doing it. Uh, David shows up. And he's like, who, who, is, who is this clown, you know, defying the living God? He has no covenant with God. Um, 
And so here's the difference. Everybody else compared themselves to Goliath, and they seemed very small in his presence. David never stood back to back with Goliath to see who was bigger. David stood Goliath back to back with his God. And when he did that, he realized how small that giant was compared to God. Now, David was small compared to the giant, but David didn't make that mistake. See, if David made that mistake, he would have been in fear. But instead, he chose only to compare the problem to the answer and God being the answer. So now it's not something he does afraid and hoping it works out and tell my dad I love him, you know, if this goes badly, you know. No, no, no. See, none of that. He's like, um, I, I'm, I'm fixing to take your head off. And then when I get through with you, I'm going to feed the whole army behind you. Uh, I'm going I'm to feed their carcasses to the birds of the air this day, today, right? Today, right? You see what I'm saying? So, but again, this isn't, this isn't false bravado. This isn't fake it till you make it. This isn't do it afraid. This is faith. This is, this is fully persuaded. Can't see any other outcome. Um, can't imagine any other outcome. Uh, because he's fully developed, fully grown in faith. Yes. It seems to be a constant theme throughout the Bible because we just spoke about Jeremiah this morning and he, and he, he calls him to something and, and he tells him, don't be afraid of people. You know, I'm going to be with you. I want to protect you. As as common a theme as the Bible as God is a common theme in the Bible and as faith and as mankind because that, that's it right God with us Emmanuel God with us God I'm gonna be with you he he wants to do something for you so he can do something in you he wants to do something in you so he can do something with you he wants to do something with you so he can do something through you and and you know the the, the again it's here's the here's the big difference though between where we are in our day and where Jeremiah and David and Gideon and others were in their day. God could be with them, but he could not be in them. He was not in them. And they were not new creations in Christ Jesus. We live in a day when the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead now dwells inside of this earthen vessel. We have a treasure in an earthen vessel, right? So, whew, praise the name of the living God. All right. So, um, you know, there's moments like this, you know, just, just you know, um, some of you know Sis Dixon. Um, she's a dear friend and just such a blessing. She's on staff at the Foundry. And, and um, you know, I made it, I guess, to my late 40s before I'd ever heard this expression. And um, she was talking about a vacation spot where her and her husband and extended family, you know, gather in, in another state on the coast. And... And um, so she was going to be out of town, and I said, look, y'all have a great vacation. And she goes, oh, thank you, Pastor Mark. She goes, I will. She goes, and she named the place, and she says, it's my thin place. Huh? Yeah, thin place. And I thought, thin place, vacation. Vacation is not my thin place. There's my favorite donut shop where I normally go on vacation. <laughs> and, uh, you know, and I, and I thin place, I said, I said, I said, what do you mean by that? And she looked kind of surprised, you know. She was as surprised that I did not know what she meant as I was surprised by her saying it. And she said, it's my thin place. She goes, it's the place where the veil between heaven and earth becomes very thin for me. Right. You know, and I was like, ooh, I like that, sis, you know. And, um, man, there, there, there are moments, you know, like what we're experiencing right now. It's just, it's a thin place, right? I mean, it's, it's, um. Jake's uncle did the I Walk Bethany down the aisle for her wedding. And so Jake's uncle, he's with Jesus now, beautiful, precious man of God, Keith Lindsay. And um, 
He was actually over uh, Highlands College for many years, was a pastor, one of the campus pastors at, at Highlands, and just a beautiful man, and look forward. He's in, our, he's in my future. He's in my past, but he's in my future. And, and, um, and he used at the beginning of their wedding a verse in a way that I'd never heard it used before and I'll never forget. And it's the verse where the Bible says there are times we entertain angels unaware. And, and he believes and I believe that that verse means exactly that, that there, there are times we encounter beings that we think are human but are not human, but they're actually angels. But he said there's a broader meaning to that. And, and, and he said there are times when heaven is close and we don't recognize it, we don't realize that we're in the presence of the eternal and, um, and, and we miss that, right? And, um, and so it, it's, it's times like these, you know, when the Holy Spirit is here and He's moving and He's working and He's revealing and He's showing and He's answering, you know, that, um, you know, it's, I'm sure, I know some of you, and I'm not fishing for a agreement on this, I'm just saying that it's, it's moments like this that I think, you know, I could, I could probably stand here and do this for three days without eating or drinking, you know. I mean, it's a, and and don't you think that's what Jesus, when when they tried to give him a sandwich, and he, you know, he's like, I'm being paraphrasing, right? And he's like, um, he's like, I'm I'm good, guys. And they go, Oh, have you already have you already had food today? And he's like, Well, he says, I have food to eat that you don't know anything about. And they're like, Oh, somebody gave Jesus something better to eat than we did, and he didn't share it with us, right? And he said, No, he said, my my food is to do the will of Him who sent me. You know, in other words, it. Is is that is that place where it's just the 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 it's the sustaining sustenance substance you know of the eternal that's that's breaking through uh, into uh, the the earthly and it's 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 a it's a beautiful experience. So anyway, um, praise God. Let's 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 in light of that, let's talk about anger. No, I'm just kidding. Let's, <laughs> but but see again, anger. We think of anger as as being something bad. Anger's not bad. The whole reason we have the capacity, in other words, the devil didn't invent anger, right? Any more than the devil invented sex, you know? That's, these are things God created and designed, but he also gave us a whole lot of instructions for the use of, of both of these things because we know that used improperly um, is something that the devil can, can use to bring tremendous uh, damage and harm to our lives, and I'm talking more about anger now than the other. Okay, um, but you know, we how, how many folks have, in a fit of rage, you know, have actually taken another person's life, and and would do anything that they could ever possibly do to take it back, but but again, they can't. And so, um, you know, anger is a is a extremely extremely powerful emotion, and so that's why. We see this in Ephesians 4, 26 and 27. It says, Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your wrath. And there's a comma there, so the thought continues to verse 27. Nor give place to the devil. Okay? So, be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your wrath, nor give place to the devil. There are some different words here that, um, without spending 45 minutes on this, um, if I could just quickly mention them. When he says, be angry and do not sin, this would be the, the thumos. This, you know, th this would be the, uh, the flying off the handle. Um, and you realize that you can, get, you can get angry and not 
use foul language. You can get angry and not punch a wall or another person. You can get angry and not kick your cat. You, 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 in other words, this is what he's saying, that, that anger in its, in its proper use is, is not only good, it's from God. And there are things that we should get angry about. There are things that we should get emotional about. I may have it later down in my notes. I don't know the exact scripture reference now, but perhaps if you've read it, you'll remember when I say it. Jesus, speaking of his generation, and I think it can be said of a lot of generations since then, he said, to what shall I compare this generation? He said, you know, we played the flute for you and you didn't dance. And then we had a time of like national mourning and you didn't weep. In other words, they, they were basically emotionally numb. In a time of celebration, they wouldn't celebrate. And in, in a time where they should have been grieving and, and sorrowful and repentant, um, they were not. Um, they, they were basically, you know, emotionless. And, and this is a place where, uh, you know, the devil, if, if he can't get you just on violent swings back and forth, between you know opposite ends of the emotional spectrum then he's going to try to get you in a place to where really nothing moves you nothing positive moves you nothing negative moves you you know this is kind of behind some of this is i try not to get my hopes up you know because i've been disappointed so much and um i've experienced so much loss or trauma or, or whatever in my life you know i just try not to in other words, it, it's it's it without realizing it we, we almost get to this place where we just don't care anymore and obviously that's not where God wants us to be that's not that's not the life that he wanted us to live but nor does he want us you know flying off the handle and hollering and screaming you know even if the cause is one that's that's a worthy cause that should uh, upset us yes sir Exactly. Exactly. It does. So, for I know this is a big one, but let's let me just try to, to make the point, and then we'll we'll move on to some other stuff. But you know, we we should not be okay with people dying and going to hell. We should not be okay with you know what's even and and I'm not saying that that everyone who overdoses goes to hell. So I don't mean to make those two connections there. And I'm not I'm I am not making that connection. Okay, I believe a born again man or woman can uh, accidentally overdose. Uh, and, and still be in heaven. So you get mad at me about that. I'm, I don't, we'll teach on that in, in a few weeks, okay? But the, the point I'm trying to make is this should not be okay. We should not have the attitude that, well, you know, they, they had that coming or, or they brought that on themselves. No, no, it, it, should, it should bother us. Um, it, it, it should motivate us to at least pray, to do something, you know, to, 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 to try to, change this and to make a difference in all this. Remember, who's the legal authority on this planet, right? We are, according to God. Uh, whose domain is this? We're, he wants to rule it through you, but nonetheless, um, he'll bind whatever you bind and he'll loose whatever you'll loose. He'll allow whatever you allow. We've covered all that for those of you who weren't here for those classes. So be angry and do not sin. Then he says, do not let the sun go down on your wrath. This, this, is talking about, I know some folks are like, you know, and I'm not saying this isn't appropriate. I think it is, but it means more than this. It, it, let's just go ahead and say from before I go any further, it includes this, but it's not limited to this. 
So the idea is, you know, you and your spouse, I'll just use that as an example, y'all get in an argument, get angry with one another. And, and so it's really good practice, never go to bed angry, okay? And, and that's what a lot of people get from this verse, you know, that you should never go to bed angry. Well, I, I don't want to make anybody upset or whatever, right? But sometimes, maybe it's a rare occasion, sometimes, right, in your effort to not go to bed angry, you just throw more fuel on the fire. Because, you know, we need to settle down first before we work it out, right? Okay. But isn't it amazing how sometimes, you know, you, you go to sleep and you wake up the next morning and it's like, man, I was acting like a jerk last night, you know what I'm saying? And didn't realize it, you know, because we, remember, emotions have to be replenished. If you, if you think of, of, of your, you know, emotional, your soul is where your emotions reside. If you think of it as a barrel, a drum, right, full of emotion, okay, and, um, and the different things that would drain you emotionally, you realize there are certain things you can do, like never, never pray for your counselors, those of you who have counselors, okay, because they sit in a chair, uh, you know, for hours on end, and deal with people and emotional situations, right? And they go home sometimes so tired. Trust me, I know this from experience. You come home so tired that, that you feel like you've ran a marathon, right? But your, your uh, smartwatch says you only took 20 steps, you know, three trips to the bathroom or whatever. So the, the, the idea is we're, we're emotionally drained, right? And emotions have to be replenished. And sometimes we can get to the bottom of the barrel on the emotions because, you know, stressful situations that we've been a part of all day have wore away at us. And then we come home and we're not as emotionally uh, 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 plenished as we, as we should be, plentiful as we should be. And next thing you know, we're taking it out on our family, the, the people that we love the most. Now we're, we're allowing our anger and what have you. So... I got all that. Listen to me. Understand all that. But what he's talking about here, in, in addition to that, is don't let the sun go down on your wrath. He's, t he's talking about stewing over things, right? Where we relive or, or we rehash things. And, and um, you know, it's like, so let's just say it, it's better to let things cool off. Still, don't leave it unresolved. Nothing goes away till it's resolved. That's a Michael Dye quote, okay, and it's good practice. So, you know, if you do have anger with your spouse, and, and it does, you do go to sleep without resolving it, and you wake up in the morning, right, don't just say, well, you know, we'll just forget about that and move on. No, two adults, mature adults, have a conversation about it, resolve it, and move on, okay? But here he's talking about things that we would stew on, that, that we would just relive, um, do you realize, and, th and this is one of the reasons, and, and I'm not, again, trying to offend anybody, and I don't have any in particular situation in mind, but this is the, one of the reasons why people never get over traumatic events, you know, from three decades ago in their life. It's because they, they still drag those things up and rehash those things over and over in their minds, because to do so is to reignite that anger. Now, I know that this is going to sound maybe a little bit far-fetched, but I'm just asking you to go with me on this because there's some deception here that needs to be exposed and have light um, shined on it, okay? And the reality of it, whether we have ever considered it to be so or not, is that anger actually feels good. In the moment, it even feels right. And maybe it is, maybe it's not, 
But the reality of anger is that anger is a powerful anesthetic. Let me say it another way. Your brain rewards anger. Your brain rewards anger. Now, we're not supposed to be living out of our brain. We're supposed to be living out of our heart, okay? And this is one of the, 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 the classic problems associated with not being led by the Spirit from our heart, but being led by the brain and trying to substitute the brain in place of the heart. So anger is a powerful anesthetic, and, and anger is something that your brain will reward. Anger actually triggers the release of adrenaline and dopamine reward receptors in the brain, okay? Now, if any of you understand uh, the physical anatomy of addiction, you'll be familiar with um, those types of uh, releases and those types of receptors and uptakes in the brain. But anger not only triggers the release of adrenaline and dopamine reward receptors in the brain, reward receptors in the brain, uh, it will actually cause a sensation on the same spectrum. I'm not saying it's powerful, but still cause sensation on the same spectrum as cocaine or methamphetamine use. Okay, So anger is a way to temporarily feel powerful in situations where you feel weak or insecure. Anger can also cause you to briefly feel in control of situations you have no control over. But that's, that's the allure of it. That's the deceptive nature of it is it initially makes you feel in control where you previously were not in control, okay? But then as we ramp up, ramp up, next thing you know, anger causes us to lose control. And this is where, you know, clearly the anger with the sin and we start doing uh, uh, foolish or even dangerous things. Am I going too fast for you? So, <clears throat> some then who are raised in violent or chaotic, chaotic environments have been conditioned to feel a perverted but familiar sense of control from anger. It's important to understand the connection between your thoughts and your emotions. And so, this is why we go back to, and this is where we're going to kind of pivot again here on this point. But let me just, you know, re reinforce this idea of, you know, anger and stress, anxiety. See, man, I'm not trying to get a whole lot into neurochemistry and all that right now, but let me, let me just try to say it this way, okay? Maybe I'll go a little deeper, but let me, let me at least say it this way, and we'll see how the Holy Spirit leads us moving forward, okay? Um, we, we don't... When... Any, anything that makes us feel powerful, makes us feel in control, especially when it comes to dopamine and adrenaline and, these, and, and, and things of that nature, um, I, when I say the brain rewards it, when, when those things are released um, and, and we get that uptake uh, and, 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 and that boost, if you will, uh, again, same spectrum as, as cocaine, same spectrum as, as, as meth, things of that nature, um, our brain... It's not like we go, oh, wow, I got a shot of adrenaline off that. I think I'll do it again. It's something that, that tends to develop over time. Now, when we, when we talk about these neurochemicals that um, are released uh, into our physical body, again, people who are addicted to substances are, are ad either addicted to 
for instance, most people on planet Earth who are addicted are addicted to dopamine, okay? It's the feel-good hormone. Uh, and so it's either how their former drug of choice um, mimics um, dopamine or causes a release of dopamine um, into their bloodstream. Am I talking over your heads or you guys understand this? Yes, sir. Yeah, I mean, it, it can be, but it, but it can also be from a situation. He said, is it a secondary or underlying situation? But yeah, and it, but that situation can be something from 20 years ago that we've just gotten accustomed to reliving because what we don't realize is when when we relive that in our minds, it it gets us, it, it, it causes the response of anger, which causes the release of the neurochemicals that, again, creates the, the, the feeling. Let, 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 watch this, and, and, and this is from, I'm not going to go through the whole story, but, but, you know, this was when I first really, all due respect, don't misunderstand me, this is when I really started listening more closely and more carefully to Michael Dye, who wrote The Genesis Process, to me one of the finest individual workbooks available for uh, addiction recovery. Um, and, and he was talking about these things, and and, and he was talking about a, a gentleman that he was working with who was just simply not responding to, to, to what he was trying to show him, that sort of thing. And he knew that this guy, in addition to having um, a cocaine addiction, was also a rageaholic, was, was, would get very angry. And, and, uh, and he asked him, he said, uh, he said, how much cocaine would you have to have in your bloodstream before someone could hit you in the side of the head with a beer mug and you not feel it? And he's like, wow, like to the point of passing out, you know, whatever. I mean, just like overdosing. And he's okay. He says, but have you ever been so angry? He knew that he had. He was setting him up. He's like, have you ever been so angry that somebody hit you in the side of the head with a beer mug and you didn't feel it? He was like, well, actually, actually yes. So when we say anger is a powerful anesthetic, now he's going to feel it the next morning. Okay? He's going to feel it later that evening. But the point I'm trying to make is in that moment, anger can release so much adrenaline and dopamine into your bloodstream that somebody has really hurt you, seriously injured you, and, and you do not feel the pain in that moment. Yes, sir? So I, I, always, I always felt like, that like if, if I get angry, it's, it's just kind of like, uh, like a, I don't want to say random, but like, a, not random, but I don't know. So like if I, if I get jealous, I get angry, you know? So you're saying that subconsciously that I, something is, is making me feel angry to and so if you look very carefully, and I think it's part of the genius of, 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 of what the Holy Spirit did through Michael Dye and the faster scale, and, and, and I know some of you watching this have no idea what I'm talking about right now, but the faster scale is, is uh, it's an acronym, and it's a way for someone in addiction recovery to, to uh, monitor their progress. And, um, and what he realized is that but long before a person ever uses their former drug of choice again or drinks alcohol again, that they enter into a dry relapse. Now, dry relapse is not a term that Michael Dye coined. It's obviously been around for a while. But the idea is that long before we ever use our former drug of choice uh, again, um, we enter. there are steps and stages. And if you can identify the steps and stages and become aware of those, then that's more than half the battle of never going back to that situation again. 
And in that um, relapse pattern, there, in other words, before we ever use the former drug of choice, we begin to medicate ourselves with emotions. We, we begin to take a shot or a hit of anger because our bodies are craving the sensation that we derived from the chemical, but we're like, no, I'm not doing that anymore, okay? And so to try to compensate and satisfy that craving, um, we, we respond with the, with the emotions. That's why in recovery, residential recovery programs, I'm sure it's true in non-residential ones as well, um, there, there, is, there is a tendency, especially among new intake participants, right, to create a lot of drama and, and emotion and, and keep that stirred up because, again, it, it is the flesh desperately trying to experience the sensation of being high without actually using the former drug of choice. And so to, to answer your question, um, it depends, right? We, we have to be aware uh, of our emotions and, and what is behind those emotions. And, um, but, but anger, again, is something that uh, people use all the time. Um, that, are you following what I'm saying? I, I don't know if I'm, if, if I'm I want to make sense tonight, and I hope that I am. Uh, consciously, and I'm not a big fan of subconscious, but, but in this case I'll use it. Consciously, but more, even more times than not, it can be subconscious, right? Um, l- l- let me watch this. And maybe this is you, maybe it's not. Sometimes um, I'll ask this question with a large crowd of people. How many of you in this room are angry and don't know why? And you'll be amazed at the number of folks who raise their hands. Now, obviously, you guys are at a 5 o'clock class, and you're growing in the things of God, and you're developing and progressing and maturing. But if, if you just take just, and I'm not talking about a room full of people in recovery. I'm just talking about just a room full of average folks. It's amazing how many people in our world today um, are letting the sun go down on their wrath. And there's, they're, they're in this constant state of, of, of dissatisfaction. They're in this constant state of discontentment, they're they're in a, in a constant state of frustration, um, and and they don't really even know why. But part of it is is that they have they in the same way that someone who has abused alcohol for years and years and years and years, they're no longer drinking to get drunk. They're drinking to feel normal, right? Folks who have self-medicated with anger um, and and these things, these kinds of things for years and years and years, rageaholic literally they're doing it to, to continue to stay normal, to keep that under that constant state of stress, that constant state of anxiety, right? Because what, let, let me, th- this is where I, and listen, it doesn't, it doesn't make me any better than or any less than someone who doesn't, um, in other words, we're, we're different. God made us different. And, and um, I have a tendency to be very laid back, sometimes to my own hurt, okay? In other words, there are times when I need to speak up and I need to confront that I don't. And that's, that can be just as, as wrong and disobedient as, you know, being a bully and, and, and smarting off to people and saying things when you shouldn't, okay? Um, but as I often say, I came out of my mama's womb looking for somebody to serve, somebody to please. And, and so, you know, that's the snare in my life that the enemy tries to use um, more than, than, than the other side of that spectrum is being too easygoing, being too um, uh, laid back, okay? So um, 
so for me, Y'all, if y'all knew how many wonderful things are going on inside my head right now. Um, and, man, where were we going? We were going somewhere with that. What, was we, what were we saying? Um, okay. I almost got it. Praise God. Um, oh, sweet Jesus. Okay. Praise God. Shouldn't have been talking to myself, about myself. Um, um, so, uh, thank you. Thank you, Lord. All right. So, for me, how I started to relate to this in my own life subconsciously is that I have a tendency to wait to the last minute on things. Okay? And I have been known to say, the Lord set me free because, if, again, seeing it's half, being aware of it's half the battle. I have been known to say, again, if you can't relate to this, you're like, you're a nut, okay? But some of you in here can relate to this. I have been known to say, I do my best work under pressure. Okay? All right? Well, why do I do my best work under pressure? You know, it's like somebody saying, I do my best work when I got, you know, a, a, a hit of crystal meth, Okay? Because under pressure, I'm manipulating, I'm releasing the neurochemicals, I'm releasing the adrenaline. Man, I, this, this thing's due in the morning. You know, right? And, and so without, without realizing it, see, I had fallen into this, into this you know, pattern to be kind of laid back and, and whatever, but, but it, wasn't, it wasn't like rageaholic for me. And again, that doesn't make me any better or any less than anybody else. But how I was able to understand it and connect with it personally was on that side of it, you know, where, um, you know, procrastinate. And, I was, and, you know, all these things we say about procrastination and whatever. And again, there's, there's reasons behind it. But what the Lord began to show me is that I would do that because the, the hard deadline that now we've got to get it done, we're going to have to stay up all night and do it, was manipulating those neurochemicals in my body. Um, again, I'm not trying to say it's the same thing as somebody going and taking a hit of speed or whatever, but it, it is the same spectrum of, of that as well. And so it, this is the whole, and I wasn't aware of that. And when, when the Lord, um, I was in Seattle, Washington, you know, sitting, spent a week with Michael Dye and me and a bunch of other folks, you know, we training there. And just, Lord, you know, help, I, you know, thankfully, you know, I'm, I'm even-tempered, and that's, that's part of because of how I'm hardwired, but it's also part of the fruits of the Spirit in my life, and I'll give all the credit to God either way. I mean, it's, it's how He made me, and it's, it's who I am in Him. Um, and so I'm like, Lord, I just, you know, this whole anger and being so mad, somebody hit you in the head and this sort of thing, I don't, you know. I, I'm, I believed it, but I'm just connecting with it on a personal level. But this was how He um, showed this same principle to me. So we can talk about the anger, but stress, putting ourselves under deliberate, intentional stress, um, you know, things of this nature, again, are conscious, subconscious ways that we manipulate, um, you know, ourselves with these emotions and the neurological response. And um, so, um, so when we talk about the connection between our thoughts and our emotions and then the effect emotions, influence emotions have over our choices, anger, again, would be an example to look at in this. And so consider the connection between your thinking and experience and expressing anger. There are things we can focus our thoughts on that will make us angry. Have you ever thought or said, that just burns me up? 
you know, just, she just burns me. And it's, again, we're, we're, we're thinking about um, things. So would whatever it is that burns you up still burn you up, okay, meaning what? Um, now, I don't, I don't want you to get me wrong. Now, I, I can experience emotion. I can experience anger. And there are times in my life when I feel the anger coming out of my ankles. You know, it's like, it's like, it's like whatever they put in thermometers now, it's not mercury anymore, you know, rising up in a thermometer. And I know when it gets about right here, I better get a hold of this mouth, you know. Um, and, and so, um, but when we talk about this powerful connection between how we think and how we feel, would you still be burned up with anger by whatever that is that burns you up with anger if you never knew that thing happened? See, if it, if it was never in your mind that it happened, right? Now, listen, I, again, I'm, I'm, I'm not your judge or your police, okay? I'm your servant, and I'm here to try to help you. But for me personally, um, and, and I know some folks say, well, that's just not responsible, Pastor Mark, or whatever. But, you know, I, news, talk radio, all that other stuff, yeah, I, I, I don't do it. You know, and, and, and it's because... You know, seeing and hearing all the strife, I, I'm not giving place to the devil in my life with that. And and you say, well, I'm not I'm not telling you to be ignorant. I don't have to know every little detail and cut and slam from both sides of the political aisle, and what this tactic was and that one was, and what he said about her and what she said about. I don't I don't have to know all that to be informed politically, okay? Um, but I certainly don't have to sit there and 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 let those things into my mind to frustrate me and anger me and stress me. Again, my emotional well-being and my ability to, uh, to remain in constant fellowship and contact with the Lord. And he said that he would not only show me what I needed to do, that he would tell me things before they happened. So this idea that we've got to watch the news and read the newspapers and all that other stuff to stay informed is ridiculous. The Holy Spirit will let you know what you need to know. Amen or oh me, but I'm just telling you. So, but man, there are folks, even, you know, men and women, born again men and women, that Fox News or whatever it never goes off in their house. I mean, it's just on all the time. Talk radio and all that. It just, again, um, if you never know it happens, it's not there to uh, be in your thoughts, which means it's not going to produce all of those negative emotions and strife in your life. Okay, so can't miss something you never had. Amen. But instead of that, what are we going to do? We're going to set our minds on the things of God. We're going we're to feast on whose report you're going to believe. I'd rather hear about what the Lord's doing and wants to do than what the world is doing and so forth. All right. So just trying to wrap this part up. we got a few minutes. So beware of negative self-talk and reliving hurtful life experiences. Do you understand negative self-talk? This would be when you're condemning, shaming, speaking negatively to yourself about yourself. You can't get everything right. You're so stupid. You're blah, blah, blah. See, the devil is just right there, just shoveling that manure into your mind as fast as you can, uh, you know, relive it and speak it to yourself. So beware of negative self-talk and beware of reliving hurtful life experiences. 
Many are self-medicating with these anger-producing, emotionally-driven, neurologically, neurochemically-rather-producing activities. All right. Now, the enemy wants you to believe that you're at the mercy of your emotions and there's nothing you can do to control, manage, or change them. He is a liar, okay? The enemy wants you to believe you are at the mercy of your emotions and there's nothing you can, can do, you, nothing you can do to control, change, or manage them. Again, he is a liar. The good news is, and I'll be honest with you now, I've had a lot of folks get irritated at me over the years when I try to tell them this, okay, because they say it can't be that simple. There has to be more to this. But again, the good news is all emotions are thought-driven. Anger and anxiety are driven by our thoughts, and so are peace and joy. Anger and anxiety are thought-driven. You can think about things that will make you anxious, and you can think about things that will make you angry. Okay? You can also think about things that will cause you to experience the peace of God in your life and the joy of the Holy Spirit in your life. Okay? So if you never learn to manage your thoughts, you will never be able to control your emotions. Okay? Now, John 15, 11. Let me try to give you a few more verses here. Okay, John 15, 11. You get anything out of this tonight? Amen. All right, John 15, 11 says, These things, Jesus speaking, These things I've spoken to you that my joy may remain in you and that your joy may be full. Okay, so just to clarify, happiness and joy are not the same thing. Happiness depends upon favorable external circumstances and therefore comes from the root word happenstance. We say circumstance. Circumstance is that which stands around you in a circle, okay? Happenstance is what is happening standing around you, okay? Happenstance, circumstance. Happiness is based upon, dependent upon, favorable external circumstances. So if your favorite song's on the radio and it's Friday and you just got off work and you just got paid and you just got a bonus and... Um, your favorite cut of steak is thawed out in the refrigerator. Um, you know, all, everything going your way, so you're a happy dude, right? Do that, all right? But, you know, let's say just the opposite, right? You got laid off. You, um, uh, you have no steak thawed out. You don't even have chicken to thaw out and blah, blah, blah. So, again, you know, happiness rises and falls based upon what's happening around you. Joy is something completely different. Joy comes from the inside of you is not dependent upon what's going on around you and therefore, praise God, can be a very present force and factor in your life even if what you may be temporarily experiencing right now is not does not appear to be so favorable. You still with me? Okay. So, but notice now, Jesus said, these things I have spoken to you that my joy may remain in you and that your joy may be full. Remember, Jesus is the Word of God made flesh. You know, some of you were not here when we covered all this in earlier classes. Jesus is the Word of God made flesh. There's a lot of ways to understand that, and most, most, most every way I could explain it to you or maybe that's out there to be explained is, is good and healthy and right. The simple way of understanding this is Jesus is the Word made flesh. Words convey thoughts and meaning. 
Jesus is a living, breathing expression of God's divine mind and thinking. If you want to know what God thinks or how he thinks, look at the life of Jesus. Okay, So when Jesus says, I've spoken these things to you, he didn't say anything to us that he did not receive from his Father, that his Father did not tell us to, uh, uh, to, to, that, that his Father did not tell him to tell us. So when Jesus speaks, he is conveying thoughts from the mind of Father God himself. Right? So do you see why if you hear what Jesus had to say to you and, and your thoughts are in alignment with words coming out of his mouth, his thoughts are going to not only produce joy in your life, they're going to produce his joy in your life. These things I've spoken to you that my joy may remain in you. His thoughts, Father's thoughts will produce Father's emotions because thoughts produce emotions. If you can get the thoughts of God operating in your heart and mind, His thoughts will produce His emotions in your life. Man, that just stirs me up right there. Promises of God, what God said about it, whose report will you believe, to whom will the arm of the Lord be revealed, right? So, Absolutely. You know, you can, you can remember David. You, you could have been like everybody else and looked at who was against you. Or you can be like David and look at who's for you and what he said. Right? And that's the difference in this case between fear and faith and failure and victory. John 16, 33, we see another very similar um, uh, passage. These things I have spoken to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. So again, two of the most important emotions that you can ever have in your life is peace and joy. And he's saying, I give you peace not as the world gives. See, we get emotions from the world. And you can even find a worldly peace, but it's not the same as godly peace. Amen. Are you following what I'm saying? You can find some kind of internal satisfaction from the things of this world, but it's only temporary at best. But when, when the Word of God and, and words... Remember now, the Bible in front of you, those words originated as thoughts in the mind of God. And they came down from above, from Him to us. Okay? So if we will allow the Word of God to become the filter through which, you know, we think. In other words, if it don't line up with the Word of God, it's got no business being in our minds. Because any thought outside of what lines up with what God has said is going to produce some kind of emotion in our lives that, that is not from God. And that emotion, if, you're not, if you allow it unchecked, will produce and influence decisions in your life that are going to lead you in a path you do not want to go in. Yes, sir. Amen. So, yeah, I mean, for, for, you know, sadly for a lot of people and, and even more sadly for a lot of God's people, you know, what God has to say is just one opinion to be considered among all the others. Um, but, you know, we, we have chosen to give His Word a place of supremacy in our life. We give His Word 
place in our lives not equal to other opinions and thoughts and suggestions and ideas, but superior to. As a matter of fact, His Word is that which every other thought and idea in our lives bows its knee. If it, if, if it, if it disagrees with the Word of God, then out of here. We, I'm, it's, it's no, no business. Again, what did he, when He gave us that, I'm, I'm way ahead of myself and we're out of time, but when He said, Here's the filter through which you need to make sure if the thought doesn't line up with this, these list of things, then it doesn't belong in your mind. The first, what, whatever is true, right? And where can we find truth? Not facts. A fact is one thing. Truth's another. Okay? Truth is only, the Bible's the only place you can find truth. Only place you can find truth. All right. 645, can you believe it? Man, where did this class time go? It went by fast. Amen. All right, let's pray. Father, thank you for our time together. Thank you for your love. Thank you for your goodness. Lord, help us hear these things, receive these things, not just as concepts, but as, as action steps. Father, faith without a corresponding action, faith without works is dead. Lord, may we not only believe um, what we've heard tonight, agree with what we've heard tonight, think about what we've heard tonight. Father, may we act upon what we've heard tonight. Um, Lord, may Satan's reign of terror in people's emotions in tonight, Father, as we shut him out by shutting out the wrong thinking and bring in and deliberately, intentionally set our hearts and minds upon you and upon the things that you have spoken to us. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. One last verse from Isaiah. God said, I'll keep him in perfect peace whose mind remains on me, who stayed on me, who's fixed on me, right? Perfect peace to the man or woman who keeps... God at the center of their thought life. Amen. All right. Your love, if nobody's told you that uh, today, thank you for being here. Thank you for joining us online. Have a great